0: There were seats for maybe 500 people in the conference hall, and it was full. Small clusters of people seated themselves awkwardly in the aisles between the tiered rows. Flynn was surprised by the number of other people who thought Carrie-Anne Wright had something to say that was worth listening to. The final question, then, said the slim ufologist as she rested her hands on the edges of the lectern, is why, despite all the evidence, do so few believe in the reality of abduction? I suggest that simply asking is asking too much. If we can find alternative evidence, evidence that science and the media find acceptable and believable, then we can at last get the help for abductees they deserve. Applause rippled through the audience. A few people stood. Carrie stepped back and smiled self-consciously. She looked nothing like the fuzzy black-and-white photos on the back covers of her books. She had been prepped and posed for an academic look. Straight, plain, dark hair and a pale face. Instead, her hair was a bright amber complemented by colourful cheeks. She collected her notes and made her way across the platform to the right. Flynn followed her at a distance along the corridor outside. After passing through a few doors and descending a wide staircase, he guessed she was following signs to the canteen. When Flynn arrived, Carrie was paying for coffee and a slice of dark chocolate gâteau. He was surprised to find the canteen so empty at midday. Apart from the two of them, there was only a man dressed in a pale suit. He sat by the window, three empty coffee cups arranged around him. He looked up toward the counter and Flynn adjusted his gaze to the rippling Thames. The welcome sunlight glinted off the water and the shiny tabletops inside. Flynn walked over to the beverage counter. Just coffee, please. As they had for Carrie, the staff served in silence. He had to read the amount off the till himself. He turned away and was immediately disappointed. Carrie was sitting with the man by the window. Flynn chose a table nearer the counter and toward the back wall so he could see if the man left. He started rummaging through a wicker basket of sugar, sweeteners and cream in front of him. He emptied a sachet of sugar into his coffee and stirred, using his peripheral vision to catch a glimpse of Carrie. She was gesturing with her hands, throwing them to her sides and then pointing to the door. She picked up her companion's mobile phone from the table, shook it at him and waved him away. Flynn stirred his coffee again. He had been waiting for this for two weeks, knowing from experience that letters and phone calls could be dismissed easily. Not wanting her to decline without at least giving him her full attention, he stood up and walked toward her with his coffee. Carrie-Anne Wright, isn't it? Like the song? Do you mind if I join you? She was playing with the cake on her plate and was startled by his arrival. The glow in her cheeks had spread across her whole face and there were smudgy bags under her eyes. She started a movement that looked like a shake of a head, so he sat down opposite her before she could speak. I'm Peter Flynn. He offered his hand, which she shook barely a touch, before licking some crumbs of cake from her fingers. She fixed her eyes on him. There was no movement now. I enjoyed your presentation, he said. She blinked and looked around, apparently stuck for something to occupy herself. She picked up a plastic spoon and stirred her drink. Like the song, she repeated. The Hollies. Dad was a huge fan. She shook her head as if trying to wake up, then checked her watch. The time seemed to surprise her. She gulped half her coffee at once. Was I loud enough? she asked after a loud swallow. I never trust those microphones. I'm lucky if I don't sound like a machine. You were fine. I wanted to ask you something. Oh? I want you to help me prove that my wife isn't deluded. She says she was abducted. Who are you trying to convince, Mr. Flynn? He ignored the question. Why wait for someone else to find the proof? Why not do it yourself? Why do you suppose I'll listen to your advice? I'd like to help your wife if I can, but I'm extremely busy right now. Be patient. Carrie checked her watch again. I've got to go. She pushed her seat back, stood up, and walked toward the exit. Then who'll help me, he shouted after her. The noise caught the attention of the staff behind the counter. He was appalled at the desperation in his voice. It didn't sound like a question so much as a final plea for salvation. Carrie stopped walking and turned toward him. She's got all the help she's allowed, he said, but it's nowhere near enough. Carrie paused, pulled a phone out of her handbag, and dialed a number. She talked into the phone, walking slowly back toward him. Scott? Carrie? I'd like you to talk to someone. She paused as she listened to a reply. This afternoon? Peter Flynn. Thanks, Scott. Carrie swapped her phone for a notebook and crouched at the table to write something down. She tore the top sheet off and offered it to Flynn. It was an address. Scott Flintoft. He's a friend. Have a chat with him this afternoon. He's not as busy as me. She turned away again, walking quickly toward the door. Thank you, he shouted after her. She waved without looking back. The apartment building looked neglected. The doorbell didn't even work. Frayed and unattached wires poked out of the mounting in several directions. Flynn pushed the front door to check if it was locked. It opened with a dry, high-pitched whine. He entered the hall. Flynn followed the dusty track up the middle of the stairwell, looking for apartment nine. Three doors led off the landing, two of them numbered with a single brass digit. On the door of number nine, a ragged outline performed the same job, exposing an old layer of paint where a number had once hung. The door shook freely in its frame when Flynn knocked. The door opened. "'Come in, Mr. Flynn,' said the man Flynn took to be Scott Flintoft. Scott stood aside to let him in. Inside the apartment, Scott motioned toward three tattered chairs. Flynn picked the closest and tried to make himself comfortable. Let me get you a drink. Coffee? Please. Flynn glanced around the small apartment as Scott rattled some cups in the adjoining kitchen area. The clinking sounds echoed off the unpapered walls. Computer equipment occupied a table by the window, the monitor displaying information that was incomprehensible at this distance. How did you first get in touch with Carrie? Flynn asked. Scott looked up. A conference in the US... We got talking about some presentation or other, degenerated into argument. We argued from lunch till dinner. He smiled at the memory, his narrow eyes lifting at the corners. We've been arguing ever since, lots to talk about, nothing to agree on. He approached Flynn with two steaming mugs, placed them on an overturned wooden crate in the centre of the room and went back for a carton of milk and a half-empty bag of sugar. He held the bottle to his nose, swirled it round and sniffed at it warily. Should be okay, he muttered as he put them with the mugs. Flynn had assumed that being a friend of Carrie's Scott would agree with most of what she believed. Surely you agree on the key points? Which are what? Just about all we agree on is that there's insufficient evidence, objective factual information to support her claims. That's what we've achieved in two years. From Beyond Belief by Paul Charles was read by Kay Anderson. This episode was recorded by Kay Anderson in Nashville and mixed at the Detman Brothers Studios, Munich. Welcome to the Devil's Playground. If you really like this podcast, the best way to support us is to download the ebook for Kindle or Kobo, also available in paperback. Look for The Playground by Paul Charles or From Beyond Belief by Paul Charles. Thank you for listening.